Welcome to the Canada's History Podcast. My name is Nell Ostrom, the Senior Editor of Canada's History Magazine. Today I'm speaking with Carolyn Harris. Carolyn wrote an article about a man who is not well known to Canadians even though his name is very familiar. His name is Prince Rupert. Carolyn, can you tell us something about who Prince Rupert was? Well, Prince Rupert was the first governor of the Hudson's Bay Company, which is still in business in Canada today. And we see his name all over the map of Canada, Prince Rupert, British Columbia. The the Hudson's Bay watershed was known as, as Rupert's Land. And yet many Canadians know very little about him and this pivotal impact that he had on Canadian history, despite the fact that he never personally visited Canada. What's interesting is that he was born into the turmoil of the 17th century that his his mother and father uh, Frederick and Elizabeth were known as the winter king and queen of Bohemia as they ruled there for a single winter uh, before being driven out by the Catholic Holy Roman uh, <clears throat> Emperor they've been invited um, to be uh, um, to be king and queen of Bohemia by the Protestant population of Prague so Bohemia being uh, being the Czech, the Czech Republic today and and so he was a prince who had to make his way in the world uh, he grew up in exile in the Netherlands and then and, the, and then fought for his uncle, King Charles I, during the English Civil Wars, and then became a prominent figure at the court of his cousin, King Charles II. So a lot of the action and the drama of Prince Rupert's life took place in Europe rather than in Canada. His involvement in the Hudson's Bay Company uh, you know, c- came during the last decade of his life. So often Rupert's better known in a European history context as this figure who was in the midst of the Thirty Years' War, the English Civil Wars, rather than being well known uh, for his role in Canadian history. It seems that Prince Rupert also put new meaning into the word cavalier. Yes, he was known as the consummate cavalier fighting for the royalists during the English Civil Wars. He developed a rather controversial reputation uh, during these these battles in the 1640s. The the, the forces opposing Ch- Charles I, those of Parliament, viewed him a, a, as overly brutal. And even among the royalists, um, he, he he was seen as someone who spoke his mind and had very little very little time for the, the, the for the hierarchies at court. That he was someone who who simply wanted to want wanted to get things done after the, the the end of the English Civil Wars and the defeat and execution of his uncle Charles the first he went on to become a privateer and 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 sailed to the Caribbean to get resources for the uh, f- for the Royalist Navy so although he never made it to Canada he was extremely well traveled for a prince of his time as as he had to make his own fortune within the turmoil of the mid 17th century how did he come to be connected with the Canadian fur trade well, he met with uh, Radisson and, and Grosillier, uh, the explorers who saw so much potential in the expansion of the fur trade into the Hudson's Bay watershed. And of course, uh, Radisson and Grosillier had gone to the French court first, but 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 the the French royal family was quite was quite invested in New France, what is now Quebec, and so they and so they went on to the English court to try to uh, to, to try to interest King Charles II in in, in, in investing in these lands, and it was. Prince Rupert, who brought together the king and these explorers and the, nece- and, and, and the necessary investors to, to found the Hudson's Bay Company. How popular were beaver furs at this time? 
Yes, uh, Charles II's court, the beaver hat was extremely fashionable as the felt was waterproof and uh, and durable. And, and so there was this fashion for, for beaver hats. So Charles II was more than willing to sign over this land, which he may not have known the full scope of, to the Hudson's Bay Company in exchange for receiving a steady supply of, uh, of beaver hats for himself and his court. How big is Rupert's land? Well, it's, 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 it's the Hudson Bay drainage basin, so it's a tremendously large part of Canada, as it's all the land surrounding the Hudson's Bay watershed. And after Canada achieved Confederation, they bought this land from the, uh, from the, the, the Hudson's Bay Company. And it's interesting that within the Charter of 1670 that Charles II stated that if any of our descendants, our heirs and successors, do visit the, uh, this land, you know, they, they, are, to, they, they are to receive uh, uh, beaver pelts. So Certainly, there have been there have been royal visits where King George VI and now that the present Queen Queen Elizabeth II have been have been presented with you know with, with these beaver pelts that were such a that were such a key aspect of, of the early Canadian economy. Who were some of the other royal personages who made a mark on Canada? Well, there are a number of royal personages who spent time living in Canada in the 18th and 19th centuries and had opportunities to make their mark on, on Canadian history. Queen Victoria's father, um, Prince Edward, the Duke of Kent, was resident in Halifax during the 1790s and became commander-in-chief of the of the British North American forces and helped helped develop some of the some of the, the military strategy that, that that would be significant during the War of 1812. Uh, all, all four of Queen Victoria's sons. And, her, and one of her daughters, Princess Louise, spent time in Canada at various times in their lives. And, and Princess Louise was, was here as the consort of the Governor General, Lord Lorne, from 1878 to 1883. And she was an accomplished amateur artist. So what's interesting is she and her husband were key to founding the Royal Canadian Academy of Arts and the National Gallery in Ottawa. As she noted, there were few places for, for Canadian artists to display their work and meet other artists within Canada. Canada, that in the mid-19th century, many Canadian artists were going to the United States or to the United Kingdom. So she was eager to foster a Canadian artistic community. So that's one of the differences we look at at the at the the monarchy today and and in the past, as there were as there were these periods where members of the royal family lived in Canada for years at a time. Whereas now we see these shorter, more more targeted royal tours where royalty are are, are here for for a long week or for a week around specific occasions. But in the past, there were opportunities for royalty to live in Canada for a more extended period of time. Thank you, Carolyn. I've been speaking with Carolyn Harris, who wrote about Prince Rupert in the September-October 2015 issue of Canada's History magazine. My name is Nell Ostrom, the senior editor of the magazine. Thank you for listening to the Canada's History Podcast. <laughs>